Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me again. Uh, again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour here on Talent Talk. We have a great lineup of guests, and I hope you're looking forward to hearing uh, all the great guests throughout the year, especially the two uh, we have today. The Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture, among many, many things. And in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. So we really try to dive into that word talent, uh, first as it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success, and second, how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. If you've been paying attention at all, it seems like there's an ever-changing and shifting perception on the challenges that HR leaders have, so we're constantly kind of changing that focus. But this show will really explore those two different areas along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture. The guests typically on the Talent Talk radio show are CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, just about anyone who has something really good to tell us from just about any industry uh, as it relates to that word talent. So what typically happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference or a speaking engagement, and I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders. And I created this forum to let you listen on our dialogue instead of me having the privilege only in the corner of the conference room where I'm asking a thousand questions so that you can listen in our dialogue and hopefully cultivate more of your talent internally, develop more leaders, manage your culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have any questions for our guests and want to try to get that question thrown in there, just send it to at peopleg2 on Twitter and use that hashtag uh, talent talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and work them into the show as time allows. And we also love to have suggestions, question suggestions, guest suggestions, anything like that is great. Don't forget you can also tune in uh, to the podcast of the show on iTunes or Android and subscribe to have that show just show up magically on your phone or your tablet uh, there every month, every week. Excuse me, uh, We have 130,000 of you that are getting that, so this show will be uh, delivered you know, probably next week for those 130,000, and that list is constantly growing. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen. All right, all the business is out of the way. Let's get to our my first guest, uh, who is going to be Dorinda McDonald-Popper. Am I saying that all correctly? It, almost. It's Popper. Popper. Oh, I'm sorry. I usually I see I'm, my first first year of the show, I screwed up a name every single show, <laughs> and then I got better, so now I'm regressing. That's fine. She's the director of HR at Corville Corporation, and my second guest will be a returning guest, uh, Leslie Jostle. She's the principal at Order Out of Chaos. So let's go ahead and get to Dorinda. Tell us a little about yourself, how you're doing, and a little about your company. Okay, well, first, thank you for having me. It's my first experience doing a radio show, so I'm thrilled to be here. I actually came to HR by kind of an unusual route. I started my career in sales. I was in sales for a number of years and slowly kind of made that transition from 
what some people probably see as the most politically incorrect group to (laughs) HR, right? Now I report on the sales problems, essentially. But I was able to kind of transfer those skills of of being sort of a solution-minded individual to now providing more solutions for the organization. And, and a real people person, right? I mean, that's that's the kind of the commonality between sales and human resources. Yeah, but I, I would caution anyone looking to get into HR, if you think you want to get in there because you're a people person, you're making a big mistake. Mm-hmm. It is not a people person career like some people think. I mean, we're making really hard decisions and dealing with a lot of people drama. Mm-hmm. If you're a people person, you're not going to want to give someone hard feedback or terminate or et cetera. And then my organization, I work for Corvell and we are a national provider of risk management solutions. So we leverage smart technologies along with human touch so that we can help our injured workers return to work more quickly and save our clients money and and make the, the whole process more efficient, if you will. So what is it really drives you in that area of human resources? I mean, you said you came from sales then over. So mm-hmm. is, there, is there something about that that, you know, maybe is that solution area? Is there something else that really kind of drives you every day to want to be in that? What almost sounds like sometimes a very difficult situation. Well, I think, first off, I think drive is an attribute. Right. I, I think um, you either have it or you don't, and it's okay if you don't. My father instilled a heavy drive in me at an early age. I think what inspires me uh, and motivates me at work is seeing how my impact it affects the organization. So when they start to reach out to me, I'm not looking for them, but they're reaching out to me saying, we have this situation, how can you help us? Here's the challenge that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Seeing them sort of bond with me in that way is very rewarding and that's kind of what I think keeps driving me to provide better and better service. Right. So it certainly seems like you have a lot of passion around especially the strategic areas of HR Mm -hmm. and not all companies really accept Mm -hmm. HR in a a strategic role. We've seen that really change since the recession because they went and cut departments so much that there was maybe only one person left and they had to bring them into the strategic conversations. But why do you feel it's important for any company to have their top HR people or executives really as a part of that strategic conversation instead of leaving them to just do the, the tactical things? Well, I, I think it's it's obvious, right? We, we need to be able to provide solutions. We can't just continue to be a cost center. And I think that in many ways we become this process-driven, black-and-white my way or the highway, compliance, compliance, compliance. And you have to be resilient enough to work within the vision of the organization. So, for example, Corvell is very decentralized. We do not have a a 30-person HR department. We like the idea that our leaders in the field can make really quick decisions Mm -hmm. without being held up by corporate. So I think you have to be prepared to be that partner. And when you hear somebody saying, well, that organization, they don't have it right because HR doesn't have a seat at the table, those seats are earned. And when you build credibility and when you actually are adding value, they're going to seek you out more frequently. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's a kind of a combination because we, we definitely have seen companies that will kind of go down a particular path and they've not bothered to circle HR in. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, uh, even our own uh, transactions with our clients, you know, we, we can you can see it where they think they have the decision-making capabilities, mm-hmm. they think they have that, that role in that strategic, you know, decision, and then they don't. And those are the ones that seem to have the most amount of problems. <laughs> well, but we don't really have that power, mm-hmm. right? That's a misnomer. And, you know, I work for a company that has a very small HR department, but 
the commitment that I've made to our CEO is that I'm I am committed to working within his vision of mm-hmm. decentralized workforce, and I'm not going to hold up actions in the field because you know I want my way, and this background sure. check didn't meet. You know, mm-hmm. you have to take be willing to take on a little bit of risk, and you have to to fit in that vision. So, taking this maybe one step further, what is it that you love about being in that role and really kind of transforming the way the business is conducted? through those different times when they do need you, when they call, kind of call you out? Yeah, I think it's exciting when you can see HR adding to the bottom line. And I think that goes back to having been in sales and providing you know, some sort of a service or, or solution to a client. So to me, I think when I, for example, right now I'm looking very closely at how we recruit and the, the millions that we spend on agencies, et cetera. And working out a solution for that is exciting because I'm not going to be just a cost center in this in this area. This is someplace where I'm going to be able to show that we can save a million dollars. Mm-hmm. So that kind of that's what's very motivating and, and gratifying in that. Yeah, and that, that's especially when you're considered a cost center, right? When HR is kind of put that way, saving that kind of money can be pretty pretty significant. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, from a talent management standpoint, you know, what do you feel are the most effective ways to keep employees interest, interested and engaged in really being a part of the company, especially if you have that decentralized model? Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of the million-dollar question. Right. That's really difficult. I think I, I think there are a couple of things. One, communication, and the other is, is really having credible leaders. So one of the things we're doing at Corvell right now is looking at managing using a, a coaching style and having a very collaborative, using that dialectic that goes back and forth and taking a collaborative approach. That helps that the employees feel they have a voice in what's going on in the organization, right? And then they're more likely, as you build more credibility and trust with them, they're more likely to be engaged. But I mean, I, I think there's a million books out there on that very topic, and I don't think anyone's really found the absolute special sauce, but well, we're I think trying. You, I, think you, I think you hit on one thing that we hear very often on that, you know, from that question. The communication is a big one. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for people to be engaged and to follow your lead if you're not leading, right? If you're not telling mm-hmm. people where you're going and how you're going to go there and, and why you're going to go there. And Simon Sinek's book, uh, Start With Why, is definitely a pretty good start. If mm-hmm. people don't really know why they're doing it, well, then they really aren't going to do it very well. Yeah. So I think um, another one I really love is crucial conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really making the conversation safe and having the conversations. Uh, you, you see that when you promote somebody too soon, they're really good at something, and then you think they're going to m- make a great manager or supervisor, and they don't know how to manage people, you lose engagement right away. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's by them and then by the people they're managing. I mean, it's... Yeah, 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 right. (laughs) So from a strategic perspective, how do you envision... Well, actually, maybe we should talk about about millennials first. So we've asked this to a few of our guests and kind of these challenges around... that They're starting to see around millennials because they are coming in the organizations thinking different, kind of accessing Mm -hmm. information differently. So where do you see the challenges? Do you see a challenge there at all? And and how, how do you think that might affect your company's future? Just my personal opinion, I think we we might make more hay out of that than need be. Do they tend to change jobs more frequently, which is something you hear quite a bit? Um, Probably. Do they come in and have great expectations of how soon they're going to make it into a management role and and have increases? Well, that's, that's possible, too. But, again, 
it's, I, to me, it's more about managing a multi-generational workforce. So I think that's really the question. If we just focus on millennials and the challenges with millennials and we're not looking at top to bottom, this whole squishy area that kind of goes back and forth between all those generations, I think, I, I think it's a mistake. So I, I really, you know, we do some recruiting at university level and we, we've got some things that we're doing. But the message that I'm trying to get across right now is that we need to think about that multi-generational workforce and how we keep everybody collaborative and engaged. And that means talking to the incoming millennials as well so that they understand that they're going to be facing some challenges. And we've got to have that flexibility because they're not the last generation that's going to come in. Behind me, there's going to be another generation coming in. And the millennials will then be dealing with, how do I work with this other generation that's different than me? So it's really a diversity question, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you have to kind of make that decision. Do you look at it I almost, I think, how you're describing holistically, like how do we manage across all these generations? Mm-hmm. Or do we have to manage them in pockets? I mean, is it do particular groups need slightly different things to be slightly more engaged and you know, more effective? I would say that they have there are some commonalities of concerns that they have so they definitely need some level setting when it comes to how quickly they're going to get promoted and that kind of thing but i'm not sure that we need to reinvent the wheel i think we need to share with them i guess what the opportunity really looks like what our expectations are and certainly the newer younger workers we've got to mentor them along and once you get them mentored along and you're engaging them they're less likely to feel that sense of flight, I mm. think. Yeah. So do you, I guess, you know, we, we've seen examples like people have said they've had like 30% uptick in their offers being accepted when they were texting back to people mm. as opposed to emailing or as opposed to picking up the phone or whatever. So it does seem to be this change in just from a technology standpoint. I guess mm-hmm. we, we tend to label that as millennials, but it's not just millennials. There's a lot of people that are kind of changing the way they're interacting and wanting things faster and wanting Mm -hmm. them now. So it might also be just an approach in changing our speed and changing the way we do things. Not necessarily just to them, but to everyone, as you mentioned, kind Mm -hmm. of overall. Are you kind of seeing some of those changes too, just overall demographically? Yeah, well, we're a tech company as well as a risk management company. So we have proprietary software and a large tech team that, that does development. So we are keenly aware of that, and our, our VP of marketing is also very aware of, of trying to bring ourselves in the, the the modern era. We actually, for a long time, had you know download and print an application and write on it in ink, and then, right. right? It was just the most shocking and, and crazy thing that I had ever seen, and I had been brought over by a headhunter. So when I saw that, I was you know pretty much panic mode and and did everything I could to get that fixed right away. So to that point, yes, we we do need to be mobile and we need to look at mobile apps and and we need to leverage LinkedIn and and other types of, I guess, social media in recruiting. Mm -hmm. Um, My thought was more on a broader perspective once they're in. Right. Right. But that's true. We have to to leverage all those most, I guess, the the most advanced technologies in our recruiting efforts. Yeah. So, you know, we look at, kind of switch gears a little bit to, to looking at culture, and, and that gets into the strategic role that HR plays in really implementing what maybe the CEO, the entrepreneur, or the executive team is really saying, hey, this is this is where we want the company to be and how we want that to function. And we know that 
you know, different groups or people and talent can have a really positive impact on culture and they can have a really negative impact mm-hmm. on, on where you want to go. So where do you, in your, maybe it's just say, what do you do in your role to really ensure that there's a culture buy-in and that people really understand where the company's going? I think it starts with onboarding, right? But it's the differences between onboarding as an event versus ongoing as as kind of an ongoing thing that occurs and kind of continues throughout the life cycle of the employee. So I think engaging them as quickly as possible and keeping them open to have to, I'm sorry, via communication so that they've got a voice and so that they can have an impact on their job, I think is kind of the, the best that we can do today at Corvell. And I think it's a starting point and it's a place that most companies fail dismally. I mean, they see onboarding as, okay, give me your new hire paperwork. Here, watch mm-hmm. this video and you're done. And we need to get them in interviews with senior leaders and have them, you know, do a state of the union from time to time and keep the employees understanding. If they don't know how their job rolls into the organization and leads to the success of the organization, if you can't tell me how the job you do today adds to the bottom line, then you're not really engaged and folks that aren't engaged tend to be those that are less satisfied with their jobs and then that means everybody else in the pot around them etc so i try to keep everybody kind of focused and moving forward as much as possible if that makes sense yeah and and so do you would you categorize when someone comes into your company as far as the culture is concerned are they you know, hopping on a freeway and trying to go the same speed as everyone else, they're kind of all kind of getting in line with the program, or do they come in and is this more touchy-feely where they might actually have some impact in change the culture in some way? I mean, is it that kind of flexible dynamic, or is it, you know, get with the program kind of a thing? <laughs> Snap, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, you know, I think the most successful organizations are flexible, and I think that they understand that by recruiting outside talent, that brings in more diversity, not just diversity in terms of uh, protected classes, but the diversity of ideas. You don't have to snap in line at Corvell. We, we like people to bring their ideas forward, and we're looking for superstars and high potentials. My concern is when somebody doesn't have, when they're not being led properly and they're left to their own devices and it gets very negative, they can bring down so many people so fast. So in terms of getting them going forward in a positive direction, that's where my concern is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But well, one of our, our favorite questions to ask our, our guests, because uh, we get such great answers and it gives us a lot to, to add to our to-do list, is you know, what, what book are you reading right now? <laughs> it's not a business book. That's all right. We've had lots of good ones that okay. weren't business books. Okay. So I um, this job is, is possibly the most challenging job I've had in my entire career. I, I love it, but it is challenging. And so I am at work sometimes 9, 10, 12 hours a day, and I've gained weight, and I'm not feeling healthy. So I am currently reading Younger Next Year. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but no. it, it, it is a book for folks 40 and older. And it really talks about what's happening in your body and the dangers of sitting for long periods of time and inactivity and, and the things that happen as we you know, don't have time for a healthy lunch or, or a salad, you end up eating something God knows what. Right. And so it, that book is really inspiring me to, to stop and get to the gym and meet the trainer and, and stay healthy so that I can take care of the organization. Right. 
So you're saying Captain Crunch and a side of fries is not going to work anymore? Well, my my weakness is chocolate. Everybody knows. I've literally had days where there something crazy was happening, and I'll just go out and get the candy dish, cuddle it in one arm, and say, oh, just leave me alone for a while, and, right. and just <laughs> close the door to my office and eat candy while I try to figure out how to solve a problem that's come up. So, Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, those always seem to happen at, at some point in uh, especially if you're, you're being put in those uh, leadership positions. So I'm wondering if you had, through kind of your own leadership development, if there was maybe somebody in your past that really had a real important role or impact on kind of who you are today. Well, I, I would say many people have left their mark, even the, the managers that weren't so good at their job or, or that I thought were difficult to work with. Certainly my own father, he was a very driven man and, and worked very, very hard, Did didn't want to retire, had to be forced to retire, and, and probably only did that because he had cancer uh, later in his life. And then in a funny way, you know, uh, a manager that I had that was very negative and very insecure, and you could see how he was treating everyone around him in a, in a way that was kind of hurtful. He inspired me in a way, you know, not to be that, like that. I mean, it, mm-hmm. we would, one of the things I would talk to my team about is, look, he's showing us how not to, to lead. And when you get to that place, when you know, uh, when you're managing people, you'll know not to treat them that way. So find a way to accept who he is today, but know that those are the things that you won't take with you. Right, right. Well, I think we've all had those kind of bad bosses, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and you, they do teach you a lot. It's a really hard... It's, one day feels like a month. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's... It's it, a good it's, thing, it's a, though. It's a good you thing grow. to experience. You're, you're yeah. better for it. And hopefully, yeah. you know, that you get those very early on before you've... Because they're harder to, to deal with. I think if you're making a lot more money and you're in a better place, you mm-hmm. know, when you're younger and you're in a entry-level job, it's a lot easier to go find another one. But you know, Yeah, you're- but when you're our age or my age, yeah, yeah. You, you have to just flow with it. I, I'm fortunate at Corvell, I have a, an amazing team of, of executives that I partner with, and my my boss, the head of, of our legal department, is fabulous. So I'm very fortunate. It's kind of the dream job for the Good. dream team, yeah. Well, if others are looking for a dream job over at Corvell, mm-hmm. what's the best way for them to get a hold of you or to find out about jobs or the company? and mm-hmm. Like that. They can reach me either from uh, my page on LinkedIn. I'm available at LinkedIn, or they can contact us. I could. My, would you like me to leave my number? Uh, yeah. Is there like a particular spot on the site? What's the website? Maybe mm-hmm. they can. Uh, it's just Corvell.com. Okay. Yeah. C O R V E L. That's right. Dot yeah. com. Mm-hmm. Great, and they can check out uh, the jobs there. I'll look you up on LinkedIn and get more information. Well, during I really. Appreciate you being on the show today. You did great. I know you were a little nervous when you walked mm-hmm. in, but I didn't seem you didn't seem nervous at all once you started. So we really appreciate you being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was lovely. Up next, I'll have uh, Leslie Jossel after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have any questions. For my next guest, you can send them to at PeopleG2 and use the hashtag Talent Talk. If you want to hear any past episodes, you can go to TalentTalkRadio.com and check us out. And one last kind of final announcement, if you're local where we broadcast here in Orange County, California, if you're anywhere near there, we'll be having a OCHR one-day uh, summit 
on May 20th. And if you're interested, we can get you more information on that. But stay tuned. You can also go to our website, and uh, I'm sure we'll have something up there here by the time this gets launched. But we'll be doing that. So my next guest is Leslie Jossel. She is a uh, veteran guest of the show now that she's going to be back here for the second time. And she's the uh, principal of a great company called Order Out of Chaos. And kind of represents the complete opposites here. We talk about HR uh, talent, and now we're going to talk to someone who's very talented, kind of running our own company. And so I'm um, glad to have her back here on the show. So, Leslie, I know we had you on the show here a few months ago, but let's go ahead and remind the listeners a little bit about yourself and your company, uh, Order Out of Chaos. Sure. Hi. How are you? So happy to be back. Great. I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you back. Thanks. So, I'm Leslie Josell. The name of my company is Order Out of Chaos, and we offer organizing, time management, and coaching services, family education, and ADHD resources, as well as classes, educational videos, and products to hundreds and hundreds of families and their students. And our mission is to bring peace, I love this, sanity and hope, as well as personalized organizing and time management systems and structure to families with true struggles. And and this was something that really kind of is close to my heart because my family, four out of five of the people in the house all have ADD, yep. including me. So we all kind of kind of struggle with this stuff. But And I do want it to, to make sure we recognize that not only have I messed up one name today, I've now messed up twi- two. Both guests <laughs> I've screwed up. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, really rocking here in 2015. So yeah, my apologies. Okay. So Sorry, you know, remind us again how you got started in this kind of niche space here. Well, it's a little bit of a crazy story, but when my son Eli, who will actually be 17 next week, was five, he was diagnosed, as we talked about, with ADHD and executive dysfunction, and I wanted to do everything I could to untangle his world. So I did this massive amount of research, and you have to remember, back then, we're going back almost 11 years ago, there wasn't as much out there as there is now, so I really had to dig deep and talk to experts and read anything I could get my hands on, and I basically reorganized my home top to bottom, and what I did back then, you might consider revolutionary, because back then what I did wasn't done. It's done today, but it wasn't done back then. And I had a therapist friend who saw what I did and said, man, do I have a patient for you? She was a mom with four boys under the age of 10. And I wasn't doing this for a living. And I went out of the goodness of my heart. This is a true story. I spent like 10 hours with this woman and we did everything. We created homes for all of her stuff. We took doors off closets so her children could see what they owned. We removed dressers from rooms and replaced them with clear bins and hooks. We put time management strategies in place. And within two weeks, I got four phone calls from friends of hers wanting my help. And I remember I turned to my husband and I said, well, but I don't do this for a living. And his response was, well, you do now. (laughs) And that literally was how my company was born. But it's been 11 years and things have changed drastically. But that is really ultimately how the company got started. Well, and, and now you've gone through this journey of helping all these people, and now you've published a, a new book here a couple of weeks ago. What's the deal with teen and time management? So why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? So what is the deal with teens and time management? Um, people chuckle when they hear the title because that's what I hear all day long. What's the deal? So here's the premise. We know that time management is a challenge for everyone. You don't have to be a teen, but we do know that it's particularly daunting for middle and high school students for a lot of reasons. I mean, I'm not going to go into them all here, but there's an expectation that they should be independent and get things done on their own, but they really don't have the tools for it. Their time is really not their own. And 
we I take the you know I take the premise that time management is a is a learned skill doesn't come naturally to everyone but that parents really need to help their teens on that journey so the book really takes parents step by step through the basics of teaching their teens the many types of time management skills they need to succeed and not only in school it's for school it could be even at work or just even in life it takes them from everything from how to setting up a personal homework profile to better understand how your teen should really tackle their work, how to help them create a time sense, future awareness, how to get them out the door in the morning, how to handle media distractions. You know, it's not just school-based. It's really life-based. So are you, are you in the book really dealing with all of the kind of practical things that we should have control over that we can change and, and manipulate and I say that as opposed to maybe trying to understand some of the cognitive things that are happening developmentally with the kids at that time right it's a little bit of both it's exactly that it takes you on the journey and what I mean by that is before you can really dive in and teach your child what I call my triple T's which are tips tools and techniques as a parent you have to have a certain mindset to go into the process so the biggest one is that, and I, I constantly say this, that time management is a life skill, and it doesn't come naturally, but it can be learned. Same way we spend time as parents teaching our students or children. I call everybody a student. I'm sorry. But the same way we teach our children how to drive a car or how to play mm-hmm. soccer or even how to ride a bike, we put time, we put effort, we put consistency, we put money even behind all that. Time management is the same thing. It, it has to be looked at as an investment that a parent makes in their child to help them along. And there are things that a parent can do um, just naturally in the home um, that can set their child up on that journey. Well, that sounds great. I mean, if, if anyone is having the kind of frustrations that a parent goes through in maybe teaching your child how to drive, as you mentioned, and I'm currently going through that with two at the same time, so I'm ready to drive myself off a cliff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just happy every time I get home and we haven't had any any accidents. But I get um, it. yeah, it's you know it can be a little hectic, and that's and that's how a lot of people feel in dealing with their kids, whether they have ADD or not, in helping them with their time management issues because you don't know what. If you're doing it right, if you're doing it wrong, or maybe what if you don't have great time management yourself, maybe you're um, kind of getting making it along as best you can, but maybe they're having a hard time as well. You may not know where to go. Exactly. And here's the thing: the beauty of this book is, um, um, is it's not a book for it's a it's a it's a book for everyone. It's not geared to children with attention deficits or parents of children. It's geared to parents who have teens mm-hmm. because. You know, time management is is an issue across the board, whether your child has attention deficits or, you know, or is is the most able learner. But every child needs some guidance. And you're right. Not every parent is right to teach their children. There is even a little bit of a section on that. What happens if you are not the right person to teach your child? So what's great about the book, I say it's like action-packed. There's so much content in here. And there's so many thoughts and ideas in the sense of, if this doesn't work, then try this. Throw this up against the wall and see if it sticks. And if that doesn't stick, then go to the left and try that. So it speaks to the parent that is very time-managed. It speaks to the parent that might be struggling themselves. It speaks to the parent um, maybe whose kid just needs help, like, you know, getting homework done, but happens to be able to manage their life in other ways. But maybe your child 
you know, can get out the door in the morning, but they're a big procrastinator. So you can take the book on the journey or you can pick a chapter and sink your teeth into it. Um, so it's set up that way to be either used again and again or to just learn a new skill, so to speak. Well, I, I can't wait to read it and see if we can implement some things on our end. And I'm uh, I'm guessing that you may have a series here. You know, what's the deal with my yes. my employee in time management? What's the deal with my spouse in time management? I mean, there could be lots of spinoffs here, but, you know, I'm yeah. sure a lot of the, the things are, you know, have, have a lot of similarities to them and... I think it's great if if you're throwing out a lot of different ideas. It's not you're not saying hey, there's one way you have to do it. It's here are some different ideas. Figure out the ones that are really going to help your family or help your teen, kind of based on your situation. And those are usually the I, for me when I've read books like that, the best kind because you can find the thing that's kind of customized to you instead of feeling like well that doesn't doesn't really me. I'm not really sure that solution is going to work if it's very you know kind of cookie cutter. Right. And that's exactly, you know, this is absolutely not cookie cutter, but, and what, it's what I'm hearing from, you know, I'm, I'm laughing because what I'm hearing from people who are reading it is they're saying, I'm picking up ideas for me. Like, not so much just only for my team, but things that I can do for myself. But what I think, and I'm going to say it, I wrote it, but what I think sets it apart is that very first chapter that I wrote talks about how a parent needs to, to kind of alter their mindset when working with their teen. And what, what that means is that even if you are a parent that is not very time-managed yourself, there are subtle things that you can do, just how you ask your child a question, just how you speak to them, that can actually start helping them create a time sense and a time awareness. So you don't even need to be the most time-managed, efficient person in the world, but just by, instead of telling your child what to do, and asking them instead, you're actually helping them to create a time sense. So instead of saying to your child, for example, go get ready, go grab your soccer bag, put your water bottle and your cleats in, and we need to leave in five minutes, all you've done there is made your child an excellent direction follower. Mm-hmm. They have absolutely no sense of time. They have no sense of routine. But by turning that on its head and saying, you know, what time, do you know what time your soccer practice is? Do you know how long it takes us to get there? Do you know what you need to bring with you? What you're all of a sudden doing them is not only making them own it a little bit, but you're now creating a time sense in their world of, I need to get ready. I need to have my eye on the clock. I need to know what I need to take. So you don't need to be the most time-managed person. Just by altering the way you speak, you can help teach your team some skills. Yeah, it's amazing how the right questions can... Mm-hmm. You know, different situations, um, whether it's sales, whether it's negotiation, if it's kind of dealing with a crisis in a, in a company or whatever, or here dealing with your teens, asking the right questions in the right way can really have a huge impact. And you're not really having to having to build anything, you don't have to buy anything, you don't have to really do anything exactly. other than just make a, a change in how you're communicating. It's all about communication. And it's funny what you said, I know you're about HR, but I used to work in HR all the time, and I used to ask people questions all day long, and the answer I would get back would be, I don't know. And I understand that, because a lot of times the question is very overwhelming. So when I, I, even in my own house, when I get hit with the I don't knows, I turn it around and I say, okay, tell me what you do know. Yeah, that's a great one. That's because you know one. something, whether yeah. it's you know, a work-related question, or you know what, maybe what time, you might not you might not know what time your soccer game is, but you know what you usually bring to soccer. So if you can drill it down with your, whether it's your spouse, even work, or, or your team, tell me what you do know, it helps to kind of break down that question and, and de-emphasize the overwhelm, yeah. so to speak. 
That's great advice. I'm going to add that to the other kind of great pearl of wisdom that I got with dealing with teenagers, and that was to stop taking it personally. Oh, you that have. Most of what they're doing has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's just them being teenagers and being stupid. So. <laughs> That's so funny that you say that because I always say that about people at work. I always say that, like, don't take, like, if your coworker looks at you funny or your boss looks at you funny some days, don't take it personally. Like, you know, you never know what, what they're going through. It's funny you say that about your teens. I think that's with everything. You really can't take a lot of this personally. Yeah, yeah. It's just so much easier with the teenagers to take it personally and to think that they're being passive-aggressive or they're trying to, you know, exit their own authority or feel whatever. I mean, you have these kind of natural, probably very old-rooted, you know, things that have evolved over time. But, yeah, most of the time they're not doing it all to be to be jerks. They're just... They're just being them, and they're trying to figure it out. And 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 if, you're, and if you're not as the adult asking the right questions or help guide in the right way, it's just you're hitting your head against the wall harder than you have to be. So. Right. You're best, you're best off ignoring a lot of it. I mean, unless it's really punitive. You know that. Right. But most yeah. of it is they don't even remember. And my, one, of my, one of the things, and we talk about this in the book, is focusing on the brain and not on the behavior. So, you know, we know that a lot of these skills are brain-based. So your child, a lot of it is masked in behavior. So if you can kind of move the behavior out of the question and really drill it down to to their development and where they are, it helps you not to take it so personally and realize that these are, a lot of what your teen is spewing at you is, is brain-based. Right, right. So let's you know, uh, kind of shift a little bit here to talk about your, your day-to-day stuff as an entrepreneur and yeah, you're out there pretty much every day on your own. You know, I know you have, you have people that work for you, but you're, you're making decisions that will you know, impact your life and your, your business and everything, whether it's positively or negatively. So can you talk a little bit about what that's like and how you kind of try to make the most important decisions and you know, kind of what that process is to – and maybe who do you turn to, to to kind of deal with some of that stuff? So I'm laughing because I feel like you must have been listening to me this weekend because I was – Complaining that I have decision fatigue. <laughs> That's my new word, decision fatigue. Because I think when you are an entrepreneur, particularly if you are, you know, you don't have a partner, so everything mm-hmm. kind of falls up to you. After a while, you just, you're tired. The decision making becomes, becomes tiring. And sometimes if it's, you're tired, you tend to make, as anything when you're tired, you're not always making the decisions in the right, the right way. I wish I had a magic formula of how I do things. Um, I'm probably more cautious than impulsive, and I tend to do what my gut tells me to do, but I know that's too easy an answer. So I think the real answer is that in the business that I have, I'm a very lucky girl because I always say that anyone who starts a business to truly understand your business, you must understand your customer first. You Mm -hmm. need to know who your customer avatar is. You need to know who it is you want to be in bed with. You know, who do you want to be with? Who is going to be there? You know, who are you servicing? And I never use the word selling because when you're in a business like mine, it's not selling, it's servicing. But I'm very lucky because what's happened over the years, because my business has really morphed into something that I never thought it was going to be, is a lot of that was customer-directed or client-directed. It became like, do you offer this? Or can you do this? Mm-hmm. Or, and so by listening, really effective listening, it's helped me guide my company where I felt there was the, the, the most need. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, then one of those challenges you start to have when you have people asking you for these different things 
is deciding where do you put your money. You know, where where can you have your best return? Where can you have the, not only from a profit standpoint, but also from an impact standpoint. And, and you, so you have a book coming out. You have you know a couple sites you're launching. You know, you have the new academic planner coming out. So. You know, what's the driving force for you behind some of these decisions and trying to figure that out? Okay. So if I was to be asked the question, reverse it, and what's probably my biggest fear in business or my biggest weakness, it, it, which is, it would be, I would probably say spending money. Meaning I spend it, but I'm like super duper cautious. And yet I'm not cheap. I don't want to get that in any way, but I, and I think you understand the difference mm-hmm. between being and just being super like, is this where I want my dollars to go? And as we know now, if you go if you go online, if you go anywhere, there are so many programs and coaches and learn how to use Twitter and Pinterest ads and, and websites this and your homepage. It's enough to make you, like, shut off your Wi-Fi forever. So I do a few things. Number one, I constantly go back to my core mission. What do I want my company to do and who am I serving? That's really, really important to me. And the other thing that I find that has worked for us is that we offer almost like a smattering of choices because I feel like I've built my business uh, on an authenticity and a realism, But I and I constantly look at my company as we are servicing, not selling. So I know that for someone to... Someone is not always going to automatically just put down big dollars and say, okay, we want to work with, you know, work with you one-on-one or coaching. So we offer a range of things that you can be involved with. There are things on our site is free. There's tons of content. There's videos. There's all sorts of things that are free. Then there are things that are very inexpensive, whether you want to download like a, you know, a podcast that might be only $10, you want to buy a planner that's only $19, a book is 10 and it goes up that way. We give webinars, we give classes that are a little bit more. And what we have found is almost people go up that food chain, so to speak, and they dive in a little bit out of time. So that has really worked to, I feel, our advantage, and people understand it, and people have really acknowledged that they really applaud that, that we're not, we're not only offering one thing, and so by, and we did try that at once, and we realized it wasn't working. By kind of giving people a menu of options, we're able to really create a community and keep you as a member. So you kind of, you kind of mentioned, you know, some changes in where, your business is now to maybe where it, where it started and maybe you couldn't have ever imagined that. So things have really changed. So do you feel like your company is where you, you wanted it to be, if that's even something you even thought about? Are you asking me, like, back then did I say this is where I want my company to be in 10 years? Well, I'm imagining you probably didn't because you're... No. Right. <laughs> not your I mean I'm going to be funny because I get asked this all the time I get asked this by interviews and I get asked this a lot by my colleagues and peers who will look at look at what I've built and said okay what was the plan like tell me how you sat down and strategized to be here you know to be where you are and you know in five years and ten years and when I kind of look at them sheepishly and say I'm a really good businesswoman like I'm savvy but I'm better at understanding who my 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 audience is. So no, I did not put anything and say project this is where I want to be in five years or this is where I want to be in ten years. There were definitely milestones. Like I knew that there was there would come a time when I would need to employ people. Um, I knew that there was going to come a time when 
I had to switch from being a sole entrepreneur and get help or that I couldn't just be a labor for higher business and that we needed to offer more, you know, more offerings. And, yes, that is a strategic move. We know that, you know, if you're the only one in the field working on an hourly rate, you're only going to be making that amount of money. By having offerings like the planner, like a book, like webinars and classes and what have you, and, you know, you've, you've expanded your offerings and, therefore, you've expanded your, you know, your financial base. Mm-hmm. So those things are strategic, but... What I guess I want to say, which is, and I don't know if I, I know I sound like I'm completely like saying the same thing, but re- I think in business you have to be a really good listener and you have to constantly be, I am constantly projecting six months from now and not five years from now. I'm looking at like where I want to be, what's happening, what's the trend, what, what, you know, what is my audience asking for? And we do that by really tapping into them and engaging in them. I do some things that people think are crazy. And I don't, I think I mentioned this to you. We spend two days a year signing, you know, having people be able to call myself and, and my, one of my associates and get 20 minutes of free time to ask us anything they want. Any mm-hmm. problem, any concern, what's your biggest issue with your student or your own home or a family member. And then I always am able to ask them, what's the thing you want to know more about? That has been the most successful thing we've done because it's helped us craft programs and offerings directly related to what people want to hear. Right. So you really have to reach out to your to your client base and really listen. Well, that's great. And a lot of companies don't do that. I mean, there's that balance between asking your clients for what they want and listening, and then there's also that balance on the other end of thinking in a way and coming up with solutions and things that they haven't thought about yet. And being able to marry those two things together and and test them and see if it's it's going to work and then be able to implement it, right? And make sure that it's not it's going to obviously you know you're going to you don't want it to obviously you want it to make money for you you don't want it to be you know so like you asked me like the book was obviously you know that that obviously made sense the planner made a ton of sense but even with the academic planner we did that very cautiously we. Really, had, I developed it specifically for my clients, and word got out, and that's really how that happened. It, you know, I a lot of things I've done on a very small scale that have kind of taken off on its own, as opposed to blanketing the world and seeing if it sticks. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that's my cautious nature, and that's my. I, like I said in the beginning, my weakness, because I know you always talk about money, and I, and I think the one thing that I need to, to kind of get over, because trust me, I am so not perfect in running a business, is the spending, the spending of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, everyone has their challenges, and knowing what they are is usually the best way to try to mm-hmm. get other people involved to help you you know, kind of go around that, overcome it. So I know one of the things I want to make sure we ask you, uh, besides reading book that you have just put out there, what's the deal with teens and time management, is there any other books that you're reading right now that you might suggest? I'm gonna, I know you asked that question, and I'm going to be honest with you and say, right now I am not reading a, I'm not reading a book because i got a lot going on in my business right now that it's enough for me just to, like, get to the next day. I'm reading a lot of magazines, but not, I'm not reading any one, any one book. I, I mean, I've read books in the past, but right now... All right, now, well, then we're going to go in reverse here, and I'm going to suggest to you that you read The Boys in the Boat. I'm writing it down. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It, it's a true story about 
the Washington state of Washington's crew team Ooh. kind of, you know, during the depression era, pre world war two. And, um, I had no expectations and we just read it for our book club. We do a couple book clubs here locally and, uh, it was hands down. Well, I, I kept going back to it, you know, like sneaking off in the house to go, you know, read a little bit more ah, and I stuff. You know, like there's one of those kind of books. So, uh, we'll we'll do the reverse here and give you a recommendation. But on my summer reading list. Good, good. So, how can people uh, get a hold of you or learn more about Order Out of Chaos or find the book or things like that if they're interested? The best way to find me is one stop shopping. So the name of the company is Order Out of Chaos, but the website is orderoochaos.com. And they can find us, if you go on the site, you can sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social media, find the book. You can even read the first chapter of the book, so you can get like a little bit of a taste of it. And you can even order it straight from our site, the planner, how to work with us, how to um, access all our free information. It's all on the site. I'm sure if you Google Leslie Josel, I'll say it right at least one there time, J O S E L, and then type in chaos, I'm sure you'll find uh, something of hers out there to lead you right where you need to go. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, really appreciate you coming back to the show. Um, we always tell guests we'd love to have them come back, and that was very true for you. So, we'd love to keep hearing what you're doing and uh, keep us up to date with the exciting things that you're you have going on. Because, like I said, it's something very close to my heart, and we really. Uh, like what you're doing over there and appreciate all your uh, insights and all the great work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the support. So that's about all the time we have for today's show. Thank you again to Dorinda McDonald Popper and Leslie Josell. I now like twice for one of them and three times the other. And for joining me here on the Talent Talk Radio Show, tune in live 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every Tuesday. Next week, my guests will be... Uh, Bianca McCann, Global HR Business Lead at SAP Platform Solutions Group, and Mark McMillan of McMillan Leadership Associates. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients...